This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, tools for effective leadership need to evolve as the world demographics change, which have seemed to accelerated more rapidly over the past decade. And who better to speak to us today than this year's Toastmasters International Golden Gavel recipient, the prestigious annual award bestowed upon an individual distinguished in the fields of leadership and communication. Ryan, who is our special guest today? Our guest today is Shirley Davis, PhD. Dr. Davis is an award-winning global workforce expert with over 30 years of HR and business experience. She's worked in a variety of senior executive roles at major companies and has spoken in more than 30 countries on five continents. Dr. Davis is president and CEO of SDS Global Enterprises, a full-service firm providing strategies and solutions for fostering high-performing and inclusive workplace cultures. She was inducted into the Diversity and Inclusion Hall of Fame in 2021 and is a best-selling author of five books, including her newest release, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Dummies. Dr. Davis has additionally been featured in major news and print media and was nominated for Forbes 2021 50 Over 50 list. She also serves on the National Board of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dr. Shirley Davis will receive the Golden Gavel Award on Friday morning, August 19th of the 2022 Toastmasters International Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Shirley Davis, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. What an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations to you, Dr. Davis. We're excited to chat with you today and to learn more about maybe get a sneak preview about what you're going to speak about at the international convention. Of course, we don't want you to give everything away, but a little (laughs) bit of a preview. Dr. Davis, to start off, can you please take us to that moment where you learned that Toastmasters International had selected you as the recipient for the prestigious Golden Gavel Award? Yes. Wow. I got an email from the president's office And it was, first of all, I thought I wasn't sure what it was because I had spoken recently at one of the the conferences, the local state conferences. And I saw that email and I was thinking maybe it was just a thank you for speaking there. But as I read it more, I thought this must be accidental. This must be a mistake. But I read through it and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And so I immediately went to go Google Toastmasters International Golden Gavel Award. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. And so I reached back out immediately and I said, did you really mean to send this to me? (laughs) And um, yes, the person who answered in the office said, yes, absolutely. And we'd love to set up some time for you to have an opportunity to meet with the interim president. And um, I was floored, but so excited. And I think I, I was just finishing up a meeting and I was just checking emails right in between. And I saw that. And I was no more good. The rest of the day, I was floating high, in shock, stunned, and just excited at the same time. Good thing you didn't spam it out. (laughs) 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 Well, Dr. Davis, you've covered a lot of ground in your 30-plus year career. You've written a number of books ranging from leadership, inspiration, HR, business topics, 
One of the descriptions that I came across of you that really caught my eye is the master of reinvention. (laughs) And I thought I'd like to ask, can you tell us about the 2022 iteration of Dr. Shirley Davis? Who are you for the world today? Today in 2022, I am a woman on a mission. I'm a woman with such great passion. I am a woman who is so self-actualized and I'm a woman who is living her best life and who has become a much better version of herself today than she was five years ago, 10 years ago. And even coming out of a global pandemic where so much changed for people, it changed for the better for me. And I mean that because it allowed me the opportunity to get some self-reflection in at a time when I was traveling a lot around the world, I was doing 80 to 100 speeches a year. And in March the 13th, when everything started to shut down and we were getting all these calls of cancellations, it really was a gift to me, a a beautiful gift that was disguised with this pandemic. But it allowed me to be at home. It allowed me to get settled, to be more reflective, to have the time to truly just do some real soul searching and identify what did I want in my next and to even get reconnected with family, with friends, with my home, doing projects and to just do more introspection. And from that, it allowed me to truly virtualize so much more of the work that I was doing. So it allowed me to be more present and more visible um, to each of the the clients that I was serving and to the mentees that I was coaching and and to just be more present with life. And that has made me the person of today. I'm thrilled of who I am. I'm so proud of the woman that I have become. I'm not walking in fear. I don't have a lot of what ifs. And that master of reinvention, or I should say in this case, the mistress of reinvention, right, (laughs) is that it allowed me to take life's challenges and tests and trials and to see them as real opportunities and possibilities and new chapters that you can write for your next level story. For most people, a crisis would send them into panic. But for you, you took this crisis, you created an opportunity, and you reinvented yourself. Now, looking at the title of your session, Leadership 2030 and Beyond, Mm -hmm. subtitled New Skill Sets, Mindsets, and Competencies We'll Need, It sounds like you're going to be inviting the audience to reinvent themselves. So perhaps could you give us a little peek at what that might look like and why is it necessary? Yeah, I'm going to be sharing from my 30 plus years in the field of human resources and talent management and workforce and culture transformation, recognizing that the world is going to continue to change demographically. And I find in my work as a consultant, as a practitioner, as a former head of HR and a former chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer, there's still too many leaders that don't recognize the power that they have to create the right kind of cultures and workplaces and create the kind of environment that brings out the best in their talent and brings allows that talent to bring their best thinking and to be their most authentic self. And when people feel like they can do that, when they feel like the culture in the workplace and their leaders all together allow them to be their best selves, then they will get more productivity. They'll 
create the kind of work environment that allows them to be more innovative. It helps the company meet their strategic priorities and goals, and it hopefully will contribute to retention and greater levels of employee engagement. So I'm going to be talking to our audience about that power, the importance of recognizing that there's a new generation of talent that is going to continue to enter into the workforce. And they're coming with new needs and expectations and new ways of working, and they're coming with new ways of communicating and thinking styles. And so leaders who've been in this workforce for a while are going to have to recognize that what got them here won't get them there and that the skills that they have today are not necessarily the skills that are going to be relevant and needed and expected by this new generation of talent. Dr. Davis, what gets in the way of people bringing their best self to work every day? A couple of things. And and having the opportunity to do so many cultural assessments and leadership assessments, and we do focus groups and talk to a lot of the staff, I find that there's a disconnect between what leaders see as their roles and how effective they think they're being from what the employee or the workers or their direct reports are actually experiencing. There's a disconnect. There's a gap. And so I think what keeps people from truly being able to do that is sometimes the leaders are in the way. Sometimes it's the workplace environment or culture that does not allow people to do their best work or bring their best selves to work because they don't feel like there is psychological safety or trust, or they don't feel like there is going to be a payoff for it. So those are the things that have to, you know, have we have to really change and work on as it pertains to the workplace. Now, I would also say that personally, I think just because human nature is people don't like change as much. <laughs> I say only wet babies like change, but people don't like change too much. And so when you're coming, you know, when you're coming at them with so much that happened and so fast and it was so complex and it was definitely so disruptive, it throws people off of their game. People like to have things that they're familiar with and things that they're comfortable with. And change doesn't always allow for that. And the uncertainty, the, the level of complexity, those are the, and the ambiguity, right? Those are the kinds of things that cause people to back away or to resist or to even procrastinate from moving forward. You mentioned a number of times the word change. You also mentioned disconnection. Now, in the in the synopsis of your session, it makes reference to demographics and that, yes, we know that demographics are always changing, but we've seen apparently a rapid change, not only, of course, since the turn of the century, but moreover the past decade. I'm just wondering, is this part of the cause for the disconnection? And, and what are some of the key demographics that perhaps have changed? So, yes, I do think that's a part of it is what's been happening over the last five to 10, 15 years. And I think that the demographics are changing faster than what I'm seeing companies and organizations changing to meet the needs to step up to to where we are today. I definitely believe that when we look at these demographic shifts, that leaders can truly adopt new skill sets and new mindsets and competencies that will help them. So, for example, there's so many studies out there and I'm a data geek, so I do a (laughs) lot of research myself. But I also like to look at some of the uh, most significant demographic shifts that are happening, um, both as we look at global consulting firms who track this. I work with a number of those kinds of firms that you know do a lot of um, what those you call those lists, like Fortune's most you know most admired companies or Great Place to Work Institute, where they're looking at you know the great places to work, employers of choice. 
And so what I think is really important, when we look at the demographics, for example, by 2030, the world's population of those that are over 65 and older is going to hit a billion people. And yet we recognize that there's five generations, for the most part, around the world that now have have entered into the workplace workplace, and they're working alongside of each other. Then when you look at the global workforce as it relates to people who think differently, who learn differently, who develop and grow differently, who even process information differently. We call them neurodiverse, right? Neurodivergent. And so there's more conversations being had about that. But 15% of the world's population now lives with a disability. Or as we think about neurodiversity, I'm going to talk a bit about that even at Toastmasters at the conference, is recognizing that just what one in 20 people lives with ADD and ADHD and dyslexia, one in 100 people are dyslexic and there's national conversations now happening about how do we help people to learn differently and to how do we communicate to them differently and help develop them differently based on where they are. When you look at, for example, more women in the workforce, nearly 60% of all new earned degrees are being earned by women in the workforce, but we still have a gap in pay and parity, a gap in representation of women who head up global organizations or who are on executive teams or boards of directors, there's opportunities there. Particularly even in the U.S. where I live, we recognize that by you know 2030 that there's going to be much more ethnic diversity uh, and it's going to be what we call the minority of today will be the majority of tomorrow. So there's opportunities for us to recognize that when you start to track that and companies have to be more reflective of the customers, the clients, the communities in which they serve. So that means you got to bring that kind of talent in as well because customers want to see people who look like them. They want to know that people can relate to their needs and their own cultural norms and their ways of um, of wanting to engage with, with products and services that we offer as companies. So we have to make sure we're more reflective of that. So those are some of just the you know few changes that are going to be significant. And if leaders don't know how to work effectively across different ways of thinking, different ways of working, um, different norms and values and belief systems and different ways of communicating, that's going to have a real significant effect on engagement, on talent acquisition, and certainly on retention, but ultimately on how do we serve our clients. Sounds like any leadership books that'll be more than a year or two old will be thrown out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, another one significant is that the jobs that will exist by 2030, that there's about 80 to 85% of them that that don't even exist today. So as technology continues to change and we become more digitized and we become, uh, we use more artificial intelligence and more automated, that the skill sets are going to be different and the types of jobs that will be changed are going to require that we grow and develop the talent that will be fit for those jobs in the future. So those are the kinds of things that we have to be thinking about and too often, uh, companies are in a reactive mode and not as proactive in thinking about how do they position themselves for long-term relevance and sustainability into the next five to 10 years. And so that's why I think it's important because leaders are the ones that will create the kind of culture for that generation of talent and where they want to work at. Makes sense. 
Dr. Davis, you were just mentioning a moment ago about the rapidly changing workplace and the increase in diversity and of different types of diversity, like neurodiversity that you mentioned, a word Mm -hmm. that we weren't hearing much about, let's say, 10 years ago. Right. This word diversity itself, however, and the concept, that's been embraced, I think, by the public consciousness, by individuals, by companies for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. But over the past couple of years, there's this new frame that I keep hearing. And in fact, it's in the title of your book, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, abbreviated as DEI. Mm -hmm. What is it that those two additional words, equity and inclusion, bring to the conversation that was not present when the conversation was based on diversity alone? Such a great question. Thank you for that. What we're seeing and experiencing is an evolution of our workforce, an evolution of our workplaces, an evolution of the marketplace. And so DEI is a result of those changes because too often times companies have wanted to focus on getting more diverse talent. Now let's be clear. All of us are diverse because diversity is about all the ways that we're different. And that includes, yes, our visible and physical attributes like our race, our gender, our age, our color, our our attributes as you look at us physically, how we're accessorized, our height, our weight, our shape, and those kinds of things. But it's also about all the things you don't see, right? I like to compare diversity to like an iceberg, and I'll do this at the session, is that when we look at an iceberg, 90% of what makes up an iceberg is beneath the waterline. Only 10% is at the top. The 10% is what we can see, what you can see about us, about each other. The 90% of what makes us all unique and different and even similar are those things that are beneath the surface that you can't see. So you can't see my personality. You can't necessarily see my marital status. You can't see my hobbies, my interests, my experience, my educational level. You can't see those. You can make some assessments and judgments based on my external appearance, but they can oftentimes be wrong because they come from a place of bias. Now, as we look at equity and inclusion, and and quite frankly, the I came before the E, right, in this work. So we were then doing D D and I. Uh, And I remember coming up, I was first a, my very, very first role in this work around diversity was a cultural, uh, I was working in cultural sensitivity training. And then it moved into, yes, chief diversity officer. Then it moved into chief diversity and inclusion officer. And now we've seen even more iterations. Um, Some of them may be called DEI. Some of them are called IND. Some are referred to as just on a client call today and their work is JEDI work. So it's justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I have another client that's working on their DEIB, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So there's lots of iterations, and certainly the evolution of this is is ongoing. When we talk about the inclusion, the reason that's so important is because diversity just is because that's about our human makeup and our human reality, that we're all human with different attributes. But inclusion is about the workplace culture. So you can have diversity and not have inclusion because diversity is the talent, the people. Inclusion is the workplace, the environment, the culture, and the atmosphere in which I have to come and work in. And so we always say diversity is about counting heads. A lot of times it's about the representation and it's about making sure you can count, right? The number of people that now you have represented in different groups. But inclusion is making those heads count. 
That is when you bring that talent in and you have them all working together, are you ensuring that they feel included, that they feel a part of the team, that they um, view and perceive themselves as an esteemed member of the team who has not only been brought on uh, to contribute to the organization, but their voices matter. They have a seat at the table that they feel like they are now part. The E then comes in because it's one thing to have the diversity. It's another thing to have them included in the organization and even at the table. But are they paid fairly? Are they getting promoted based on merit or are they being overlooked? Are they being undervalued? Is there a huge gap in the equity of promotions, the equity of development and mentoring and coaching and setting people up for success? That's where we have to have the area of parity. So it's one thing to have me as a woman of color in your organization. You have diversity. You now have me included. But I did not always feel like my voice mattered. I didn't always feel asked or included at the table. I did not always feel like I was treated with equity. So I was a senior executive of a team, but I was the only woman of color on my team. And the people who reported to me looked different. They were of the majority group, right? They were white males. And so when we would go out and visit clients or customers, the clients would talk to the white males and assume that I was the executive assistant. So there's opportunities there where we can ensure in our organizations that there is fairness, there's respect, that people are treated equitably, and that they get opportunities that are also equitable. Does that make sense? That's the D, the E, and the I. Absolutely. Thank you. That was great. Mm -hmm. One of my peers have said this, and I appreciate it too. She says that diversity is being invited to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance. And equity would be playing the song that I most like, right? So it's it's all of those coming together. And that's where companies are now progressing towards is they recognize that, yeah, you know, we've probably done a lot of work around getting more representation in the organization. That's the diversity piece. But now they're recognizing we have a lot of this diverse talent in the organization, but we haven't built a culture where people feel included, where people feel that sense of belonging. And too, too many times now, I'm still hearing the voice of the employee who's in the company, who's at the table, but they're not being asked about their opinions or they're being dismissed or they're being trivialized. And the work that they do is going unnoticed. Yeah. Thank you very much for that analogy. It really puts things into perspective because generally, I think for the longest time, those three terms were sort of all, they're all clumped together. Yeah, that's right. Given your explanation, given the importance, how can we impress upon people that think that DEI is solely the responsibility of HR departments and not all management? <laughs> I hear that a lot. Yes. And I do a lot of work around that in educating. And so you've been hearing me throughout. That's why this work around DE&I, I really, really focus it on culture as well as leadership competencies. So to the extent that we can really help leaders understand the business case behind this work is so that they can get the best work out of their talent, that they can create a culture of trust and collaboration and high performance, and so that they can best serve their clients through products and services and greater levels of innovation, which ultimately contributes to long-term sustainability and into your bottom line. I think all of those are important to see. So when you phrase it and frame it that way, 
it really should be seen as everybody's responsibility, particularly leaders. Yes, because leaders are like thermostats in any organization. They're the ones that create the temperature. They're the ones that are the drivers of the culture creation, right? And they reinforce it by the ways that they treat people, by the ways that they think and the decisions that they make. But I approach this from a perspective that this is every worker's responsibility to contribute and foster a culture of dignity, respect, and inclusion. Everyone can do that. So recognizing that while a chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer or while a chief HR officer might be the sort of shepherd or the visionary of the strategy, it's everyone's responsibility to be a contributor, to be a ambassador of driving and living the organization's culture of inclusion. And their values ought to reflect some level of inclusion and how we treat people. And that's what values are about, right? It's about how do we work and how do we treat each other if we build DE&I into the values and into their mission and vision, then it becomes everybody's responsibility. It sounds like there's a lot of education that's required. In fact, that's is that part of the reason why you wrote your book, DEI for Dummies? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, it's twofold. So I was approached by Wiley & Sons, which is the actual publisher. And as you might know, they have nearly 3,000 Dummies books, and they've been around for over 30 years. So what's interesting is as we've been in this pandemic and over the last couple of years where there's been such an increase in the conversations and the focus of putting DE&I back into the forefront of strategies for businesses, they recognized that they had an out, right? They had an outage. They had not had any books on DE&I. And so they started doing some research and due diligence and they wanted someone who had the practical skill set, who had done the work, rolled up their sleeves and had achieved a, a, you know, a great amount of impact in the field. And because of the work I had done around you know, creating research and studies and certificate programs and doing so much around assessing cultures and writing about it, they found me. And they asked me to write this book. And at a time when I was also writing another book for another global publishing company, I couldn't pass it up because I thought it was a wonderful opportunity for me to give back in a way that I wouldn't be able to touch everybody through my consulting. But if I could get my 30 years of experience and write it in as a reference guide and as a tool, as a roadmap for leaders, line supervisors, board members in C-suite executives that I would be able to hit and, and reach more people than I ever could just through a conference or through a consulting engagement. And we'll certainly put a link to the book in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. Dr. Davis, I'd like to invite you to speak for a moment to the people who are listening to this interview. They're listening to you paint this picture of a workplace that's diverse, that's equitable, that's inclusive. and they're all in like yes i want that but that's not the culture of my workplace today what can you say to the individual who feels like they've just barely got that seat at the table and they're lucky if they're getting listened to what can they do to begin to i don't know turn that tide or try to i guess take some responsibility not as if it's their fault but take some responsibility in the face of the challenges? 
That is such a pointed question, and I appreciate it for a couple of reasons. I appreciate it because we hear that so often in the focus groups and in the DES surveys that we do with clients all over the world. The employees are the ones, when we talk about the employee experience and we're asking them those kinds of questions, there are a number of those people who are the silent or the minority, or the only ones, or the ones who feel like they're underrepresented both in their visible attributes as well as their voice and their value and their positioning. The second reason I love the question is because that was me. I grew up in corporate America. I cut my teeth there. I grew up there. But I also grew up in a time where we weren't talking as much about DEI as we are today. And I grew up experiencing those times where I was at the table, those times where I didn't feel heard or I was heard, but I was dismissed or I was minimized, trivialized and marginalized. So I would say to those who are feeling that way, I understand where you are. I have been there as well. But here's some things that I did to crack that code. And I appreciate what you just said too, is what are some things that we can do to take our own power back and what things can we do to truly now position ourselves better? Because I recognize that there are cultures and there are companies and there are leaders who are you know, still dealing with a lot of biases and blind spots and discrimination, and they are clueless about the experience of the employee. But let's talk to that employee. I would say to them, I understand where you are because I have been there as well. My third book was called The Seat, How to Get Invited to the Table When You're Overperforming But Undervalued. And I listed 12 strategies in there for what I decided I was going to do, that I was going to prepare myself that if this wasn't the right company that was going to recognize my value and my worth and my contributions and results, that I was going to be prepared that when I moved to the next company and I was going to have more control over who I worked for and the kind of company that I was going to be employed at, that these are the things that I'm going to do. So for example, I got a mentor, I got a sponsor who helped me to start to close some of my own gaps in performance or areas where I felt like I could you know, be at that next level ready. I also started to learn more about the business. I was in HR, but I also recognized that I could do a better job of understanding how the company made its money, how the company really was servicing its customers. I needed to step away from my own silo and start to learn other parts of the business. So I actually did that. I also started to understand the language of business and be able to talk the language where the senior leaders were. So we have to learn how to talk the language at that next level. I also, by that sponsor and that mentor, not only learned to close some gaps in my own skills that would prepare me for that next level, but my sponsor was someone who could be my advocate in the room when decisions were being made and there were opportunities for them to identify talent that wanted to be promoted. That person could be there to talk about me and to give me those, um, give me voice where I didn't have that there. And then I'll give another example that I also used for me that was important was I learned how to just really step up even more as a leader and make more value added propositions and to, uh, to even 
offer to step up on projects that were not that I didn't get asked to be on, but I asked myself to be on. So I took more of a proactive step. And then ultimately, you know, there's a couple of other those steps. But ultimately, if that's not the right company, I always encourage people to start working an exit strategy. It may not be immediate because I do not tell people go quit your job immediately. But I do ask people to think about what are some of the things then that you can start to do right now to prepare yourself to leave and to go and work for a company and to find better employment where it will appreciate and value you. So those are things that we can do ourselves to take control of our own destiny and our own power while we're working in a company that may not recognize our value and where we may feel isolated and underappreciated. Wow. Dr. Davis, this has been just so enlightening, and I'm really looking forward to your session. And the session is entitled, for those listening, Leadership 2030 and Beyond, New Skill Sets, Mindsets, and Competencies We Will Need. And your session, along with your award, you'll be presented on Friday, August the 19th at 8.15 a.m. Central Daylight Time during the Toastmasters International Convention. And if you don't, haven't found a reason to register for the convention yet, this is certainly one of them. Ryan? Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Davis. For listeners who'd like to read up on you a little bit more, maybe find out about your books, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Thank you. They can certainly purchase the DEI for Dummies book on Amazon. They can also purchase my latest book, Living Beyond What If, if they truly want to get out of their way and step into their greatness. That book is on Amazon. And ultimately, just stay connected with me at my website at drshirleydavis.com. And, and I'm certainly um, opening and opening up for you all to uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. Well, fellow Toastmasters and guests, if you've enjoyed this session as much as I have, please make sure that you share this with everyone. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever and wherever you get your podcasts. And also, if you want to register for the convention at toastmasters.org, the 2022 Hybrid Toastmasters International Convention will be held in Nashville, Tennessee. August 17th to 20th, and Dr. Davis will be there in person in Nashville. And whether you're there in person or tuning in remotely, you'll have the chance to listen in and learn from Dr. Davis. Dr. Davis, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. It's been mine as well. Great questions, and I appreciate the thoughtfulness, and thank you again for having me. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.